Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning and welcome to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, and simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. In the interest of full disclosure, it just gave me pause to say good morning because this is the first of a new series of episodes that we're going to try with the new format. So you'll be listening to this on the morning of Friday, November 18th, but we're in studio recording this on the afternoon of Wednesday. November 16th, and we'll talk about why that is uh, as, we, as we transition into the beginning of the program. But if you're new to the program, my name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this formerly weekly radio show. Uh, now we'll see how this kind of goes. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio today by Lieutenant Matthew Hill, sound engineer extraordinaire. Hey, Lieutenant. Hello, Chief. How good morning, good afternoon. Good day. And uh, we have a special guest joining us today, but I'm going to wait to introduce him until we get to that segment. So uh, we just came in to the, the radio and television studio here at the offices of WTBR and PCTV, and we're briefed up. And because we're doing a pre-recorded format, um, we can't do the weather because on the day that you're listening to this, the weather will be different. But I feel comfortable saying that winter is finally here. We got our first snowfall uh, overnight last night and through the morning hours, and it was a little bit sloppy. And I'm fairly confident that on Friday when you're listening to this, it will still be winter and it'll still be sloppy and we'll still be dealing with the after effects of the snowfall. If you want to get an up-to-date weather forecast, go check out Jacob's page and uh, check it out on Friday morning at Berkshire Weather, and he'll have his up-to-date daily and weekly forecast out there. He always does a great job. And, of course, we can't do news items in a timely fashion, so I won't be referencing anything out of today's paper because that will be old news by the time you're hearing this. But I do think that there's a couple of PPD-related news items that we can share with you. One is that I traveled down to Chicopee High School last Thursday evening for the Police Academy graduation of our newest department member, Officer Caleb Simony, who completed the Academy last week and is uh, in what we call admin week this week. While he's catching up, he's finishing his uh, rifle and shotgun quals, his PR-24 training, and a couple other special equipment quals that he has to do, making sure that he gets all his final paperwork done. And he'll be rolling into field training on Sunday, so welcome aboard, Officer Simony. Other newsworthy item to share today, uh, if you are in or around the city of Pittsfield, you may have detected a little bit of increased police activity in the northwest sector of the city around 10, 15, 10.30 this morning. Patrol took a call that came in as a, a party making threats with a firearm who then went barricade, and the patrol officers and supervisor did a great job uh, setting containment, declaring a critical incident. And to the good fortune of everybody involved, today's a, it's Wednesday, so today's a regularly scheduled in-service training day. And when Sergeant Parisi uh, put up the call for assistance, several members of the special response team were already uh, assembled together at our off-site training location. And so they came down and were able to perform a quick little tactical assessment. The SRT wasn't necessary because while they were taking over tactical control and setting perimeter, 
uh, one of our um, officers from the anti-street crimes unit was able to convince a suspect's relative to just have them come out and turn themselves over. And so that was resolved very quickly without incident. And the other thing that I'll just put out there, it's timely this week. Um, we don't have a firm date in line yet, but um, we have resolved the issues that came up at the 11th hour regarding the beginning of the body cam pilot program. So those are behind us. Everybody's ready to go. We're looking forward to uh, finishing the training that we suspended when things went sideways a couple weeks ago and actually pushing the body-worn cameras out in the next uh, coming days. Uh, we've got a little bit, we're dealing with some personnel stuff, so we got to shuffle some responsibility on the implementation team, but we will be getting those out sooner rather than later. And I just want to express my appreciation on behalf of the administration and the command to the uh, personnel involved in those discussions that helped us resolve that quickly rather than stretching it out. It had potential to... to drag out for a long while and we managed to hammer it out in a couple face-to-face -face meetings so uh, not where we wanted to be but slowly moving things back on track so that's kind of the news with the with the ppd right now so uh, one of in addition to pre-recording episodes so we can make sure we have content for you on friday mornings uh and i'll talk a little bit about what's going on and why that is one of the other things that we had been considering doing for quite some time, and we had extended the invitation, but um, it just, you know, sometimes it just needs to be repeated and repeated, is we've covered most of the units, the special units and the special functional areas within the Pittsfield Police Department over the life of this radio show and podcast for this last couple of years. But we do a lot of work with other agencies and entities, and we've had fire department on, we've had the sheriff's department on, but we haven't had, um, we haven't had really we had uh, Chief Stroud on, but we haven't had real serious representation of our other neighboring and adjoining departments that we do mutual aid work with or um, multiple response with. So over the next several weeks, uh, we're going to extend that and we're going to bring in some representatives from some other agencies that PPD works with regularly uh, so that our listeners and viewers who maybe don't work and reside in Pittsfield might get some insight into their police departments as well. So two big changes. One is uh, what we will try to do live broadcasts on Friday mornings as often as we can. It just became um, untenable with some of the travel commitments and some of the other collateral duties and uh, some of the personnel changes that have been going on uh, within the department. Plus the fact that we added another um, law enforcement jujitsu class, which is in the same time slot on Friday morning. So availability of a lot of people um, became less likely and so we decided that rather than replay repeat episodes we just find some time in the middle of the week to pre-record an episode and so this is the first time we're doing that and uh we will try not to make that a regular thing but we'll do it when necessary to make sure we have fresh content available for the listeners and viewers and the second significant format change is inviting uh, our neighbors in this case our neighbors to the north so joining us in studio today is Chief Dirksen of the Lanesboro Police Department. Welcome, Chief. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for agreeing to come in and spend some time with us. Of course. First brave soul to, to <laughs> jump on the air with us. 
So ordinarily, when we uh, bring a guest in, it doesn't matter if they're PPD or um, we're talking with somebody from another agency or another department, we like to start with kind of just the background and the basics and learn something about the guests before we get into work. Sure. So um, tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? So I was actually born in Latham, New York, which is just over the New York border, as you know, in the Albany area. Um, however, when I was in high school, uh, my father had relocated to Cortland County, New York, which is smack dab in the center of New York State, um, about 30 miles south of Syracuse. And that is where I went to college and started my career with the Cortland County Sheriff's Office. So I was at the Sheriff's Office for 21 years, going from patrol, um, you know, rising through the ranks, patrol lieutenant, and then eventually captain, where I oversaw both the Uniform Patrol Division as well as the Criminal Investigation Division. Um, All right, so a couple personal questions. Sure. Uh, high school in central New York, where'd you go to school? So I started high school in Latham, but okay. ended up uh, graduating from the Homer High School in Homer, New York. Did you play sports in high school? I played lacrosse. Lacrosse. See, yeah. there was no lacrosse in, in Western <laughs> Mass in the day, right? That was like a, that was like a Virginia and Maryland thing. Lacrosse yeah. is huge here now. Uh, other extracurricular activities? Uh, not in high school, no. Not in high school. Were you a good student? I was an excellent student. Graduated with honors. That surprises people, right? <laughs> They're like, oh, you're a cop, knuckle dragger. You probably didn't do well in school. It's not, you have to be smart to be a cop. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Uh, Cortland State. Okay. And athletics or other extra? No, not in, college? not in college. No, I worked. You were, yeah. And I worked and I did an internship, ironically, with the Cortland City Police. So, okay. so I, I, you know, there were times when I was leaving at seven o'clock in the morning, getting home at midnight, you know. Were you a criminal justice student in college? I ironically was not. I was a uh, economics and management science, so basically a business major. Um, you know, I, although I always wanted to be a police officer, I didn't want to like put all my ducks in one, you know, basket, so to speak. I, I wanted to make sure that if, if that didn't work out, I had something to fall back on. All right, so I want to pull two of those threads cause that's interesting. Um, first I want to, you know, you don't have to be a criminal justice major to end up in law enforcement. Like we've talked about it on the program. My undergraduate degrees are in English literature and American studies. And, you know, people are like, well, why, why would you be a cop? Because we read and write a lot as cops, right? Business, as a police chief, you got to manage a budget. You got you to gotta manage the staff. Um, criminal justice as a, as a degree program, as a course of study, it's good. I would never discount it. But it's not necessary for a successful career in law enforcement. And I don't know that it actually better prepares you for a career in law enforcement. When I took criminal justice at the master's level, it better prepared me to be a supervisor, but not a cop, right? It, it wasn't, it didn't translate well. Um, so that's interesting. But you also said you always wanted to be a police officer. When did that start? So, so I remember in my interview, you know, 22 years ago, when, when they said, why do you want to be a police officer? And my answer was, you know what? I, I've always been a police officer. I just haven't found anyone that would hire me yet, you know, because I just always had that in me that that's what I wanted to do. I, I, I b still believe in this job to this day. For me, I always told my officers that this is like religion for me, and that badge is like my crucifix, all right? That, it's a calling. Yeah, absolutely. Chief, were you one of those little boys who dressed up like a police officer uh, and had like a little ticket book and walked around the neighborhood? Uh, no, no. <laughs> but, but I was in that where I was constantly playing with toy guns, you know? And, yeah, that, <laughs> you know? Nothing wrong with that. 
Um, so you get out of school, and so if you were a business major, so how did you take an internship <laughs> with the city police? So it, it was funny because you know, like I said, it was something I always wanted to do, but I was that business major, so. I heard that they did internships at the local police departments and the sheriff's department. And at the time, look, I, I didn't know the difference between the sheriff's office and, and the city police. So I just knew that the sheriff kind of had a jail and I heard that the interns would have to sit in the jail too. And I was like, that's kind of boring. I want to, I want to be on the street, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, I went to the criminal justice department. And I said, listen, I'm not a criminal justice major, but I heard you have these internships. And they're like, well, the only way you could get one is if, one of our majors didn't sign up for it. And I just happened to be lucky my senior year, no one signed up for it. And I, I did a year, you know, internship with the Cortland City Police. Cool. So you get out of school and despite having had your experience with the Cortland City Police, you decided to join the Sheriff's Department. Yep. And you just said you didn't know the difference when you were, you know, in college and getting ready to apply for that internship. And I would say in most of New York, definitely in, central new york the difference is not as stark as it is here yes right? sheriff's departments in new york do a lot more what we would consider to be street level police work than sheriff's departments in, do in, in the new york constitution the sheriff is the highest law enforcement official in the county if you ask my friend and brother sheriff bowler he would say that in the massachusetts constitution <laughs> it's the same thing <laughs> He likes to remind me that he's the highest-ranking law enforcement officer in Berkshire County. Well, so does the DA. To, to circle back uh, your first question, ironically enough, my father was a banker, and my first job out of college, I worked at a bank for four years. I worked at two banks. I, I was actually a, a loan officer at a bank, and then I did mortgages at, at the second bank. And then New York is all civil service, so you know, take take your test. And, and back then, I mean, they used to have 700 people take the civil service test in Cortland County. Um, and it was good for any agency within Cortland County. Okay. Um, you know, now it, it just to, you know, bring up a separate topic. Now they're lucky if they get 30 or 40 people take the civil service test. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that's <laughs> across the board with law enforcement recruiting. Yeah. So, so like I said, I, I, I got on the list, um, was on it for several years, even though I was in the, the top scores every year, I'd have to refresh my PT test, you know, um, and then. I was fortunate where the sheriff had some vacancies, um, and I was did well in the interview and got hired. So you get picked up by the county sheriff's office and assume to go to the academy. Mm -hmm. And because sheriffs in New York do have different duties, probably not a corrections academy, probably a police academy. Yes, sir. Okay, so yep. what was the academy like? Yeah, so so in New York, in the sheriff's office, there's actually three divisions. At that time, there was actually four because we had the 911 center okay. also. But since then, they've they've broken off, and they're now the uh, emergency department of communications or something like that. But they're outside the sheriff's realm now. Um, but we had a road patrol division, a corrections division, and then a civil division. Um, so I was part of the road patrol, and in New York, we use regional academies. So we had to our north was Onondaga County, where Syracuse is. Yep. There was a couple of police academies up there. The city of Syracuse ran their own police academy. The Onondaga County Sheriff's Office ran their own police academy. And then I went to the Broome County Sheriff's Office Police Academy, which was out of Binghamton, New York. How long was the academy? 27 weeks. Wow. What year was that? Uh, would be 2000. That's impressive. 
That's a lengthy academy. It was a, a it was a very lengthy yeah. academy. <laughs> All right. Um, just real brief, talk about your academy experience. You know what? It looking back on it, I I loved it. But when I was there, I mean, the first week is just like you know shock week. They call it military drill, and they just beat the ever loving you know you know what out of us um just break you down to build you up <laughs> yeah just tortured you know all we did was march and learning how to shine our boots you know make sure our uniforms were proper a lot, lot of equipment and uniform inspections oh yeah um a lot of pt so they they had the defensive tactics instructor also come during that week to kind of prepare us for what we would face at the end of the academy cycle when we had defensive tactics um and then once once you got past that, I mean, you know, we we lost a few recruits in the first couple of days. You know, one just didn't show up, didn't contact his agency or anything, just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's not just our academy. Um, but you know, like I said, once that you you were in a routine. You know, you, you went there in the morning, you uh, worked out for an hour and a half, you showered up, you were in the classroom by 10, and then from 10 to 4, you were in the classroom. You so know? Commuter Academy, you didn't it, live It was, there. yeah, yeah. Okay. Monday through Friday. Yeah. Um, so you get out of the academy. Mm -hmm. Did the Sheriff's Department have a field training program? They did, 16 weeks. So traditional. Yep, uh, yeah, the yeah, San Jose three, model. Three-phase three yep. San Jose model. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to, like, give any descriptions or characterizations of your field training officers. <laughs> uh, I will ask, did you, did you end up, after you completed field training, did you end up having a positive working relationship or a friendly relationship with any of your FTOs? All of them. Okay. All of them. Um, I was actually the best man at one of my FTOs, That's my right. primary FTOs. Um, and we used to argue like a married couple in the car. I mean, I had, funny. I had no idea why I didn't get like disciplined for it. There was one night we were screaming at each other, arguing over how to handle this call. And here I am, this rookie. And, you know, but he loved every minute of it. He was just this big, gruff guy. And he loved the fact that I was this just little turd that stood up to him. How long know. had he been on the job when you went into cycle with Only him? about four years. Right. So, so he, he wasn't too grizzled yet. But no, but he was, like I said, just personality-wise. He, he had knocked the scale off a little <laughs> bit. Right, so you got out of field training, off, uh, field training, and then you went to the road patrol. Yep. So uh, I don't know a lot about sheriff's departments in New York, so tell you know, what, so, is, what, what is a rookie sheriff's de deputy's job look like? So Cortland County was 503 square miles, 15 towns, three villages, and one city. We had the whole entire county basically for patrol. So we broke up the county in three different patrol sectors. We had the North Post, the South Post, and Central. Um, or we called it local at that time, but now it's Central. Um, but when I first started, it was only a two-man minimum or two-officer minimum. So it was me and another officer for the whole entire county. So, so you, <laughs> you had three patrol sectors, but you would staff the shift with two that, that was the minimum, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not a management expert, but that doesn't work so, out. So, so you, you you would split the local post. So you were north local or south local. Okay. And and like I said, I mean, we had these rural communities that um, we'd have bars in them. We'd have bar fights, and and you would respond to a bar fight, and your backup's 20, 25 minutes away, and that's if they're hard charging you. Did you have any 
cities or municipalities within the county that had municipal police departments? So only the Cortland City Police did. So, um, so 500 and how many square miles? Three. 503 square miles, one municipality with a police department. And one village patrol that's about the size of Lanesboro, ironically enough. Okay. Um, so we had two other police agencies. We had the state police, but we had an interstate that Interstate 81 cut right through our county from north to south. So they were primarily a highway patrol, but they did come off the highway to back us up every once in a while. How many NYSP barracks in the county? Just one. <laughs> one barracks. You'd have two troopers on with you. Um, but like I said, they were primarily highway patrol. Did the... Cortland City Police and this Village Patrol, did they have any mutual aid jurisdiction? or Sure, or? but, yeah, it was it would be rare for them to come out in the county. Like, you know, I, I've worked a lot of, like, drug investigations, and when it was time for that, you know, search warrant roundup where yeah. we're going out in the rural areas, you know, the city guys are like, where are we Where right are we now? going? You know, and we had, uh, we had you know, um, five high schools in our county, so, you know, some of them were – very small rural locations and, and you know when we when we like we had a program we've done it for probably the last 15 years we had annual active shooter training mm -hmm. with every agency in the county and it, we take turns hosting and then we would pick a school the host agency would pick a school and that's where we would train you know and you know to bring them out to these other schools like i said they were just in awe going what are you guys doing out here yeah. you know all right, so 500 plus square miles, two deputies, two sheriff's deputies, sheriff's officers, yep. two troopers, a smattering of municipal law enforcement that maybe is available to you. That is not a lot of personnel power for a large geographic area. Yeah, so it it has changed dramatically in the the 21 years I was there, you know, now um, there's only a, a three person minimum. However, an average shift has six or seven okay. officers. Um, so it's like I said, it, it's dramatically improved, let's say. Um, but it, it was not unusual. Like, you know, my officer this morning was telling me about, you know, I had my first, you know, accident in the snowstorm, yeah. you know, this morning. That, and we were talking about what a busy day was at the sheriff's yeah. office. And, you know, the most my record my personal record was 13 accidents in one shift you know in an eight-hour shift wow. um and my all-time biggest accident i had a nine car two tractor trailer pile up on the interstate that the state police weren't available for so they sent me up there and including a hazmat truck you know and i was by myself there wasn't any other officer on that scene i'm gonna i'm gonna call you and pick your brain and get a description of that event to use for a tabletop exercise for my next <laughs> supervisory roundtable um, so, you know, we're going back, you did 20 plus years with the Sheriff's Department, we're going back a little bit, to, times were, I won't say simpler, but, mm -hmm. you know, police, policing in the late 90s, early 2000s was different, and it was less technology dependent, um, a lot less concern about things like terrorism, international um, drug trafficking, and human trafficking, so, you know, police work was... It wasn't Mayberry, but it was a different day and age. Um, but I would imagine, let's say, um, you know, I do a little bit of, I do less training in New York. I do a lot of training in Vermont, Connecticut, and New Hampshire. And you get up into some of those areas in, in Vermont and New Hampshire, 
they'll talk about, you know, one trooper or one deputy, one county. Like they, they have this mindset that they're going to go solve a problem alone. Mm-hmm. And that's foreign to me. Right? I've only ever done municipal law enforcement in a small city police department. I've never once in my life thought I had to go on a call alone. That's just got to be a different way of policing. It is. But you know what? It, as scary as the thought sounds, it taught me to be it gave me the gift to communicate with people because I basically have spent my whole entire career convincing people why it would be a bad idea to kick my butt. You know I mean? It, it's like, you so gotta, you got to keep them talking to yeah, backup. Gets it, there. Exactly. So, so like I said, you know, my greatest gift that I developed in that um, situation was my gift to talk people into handcuffs. You know, I've, I, when I was on patrol, I would always, was in the top, you know, as far as arrests and, and things like that. But I never had to use my pepper spray, my ASP, or my taser once in my career, you know. So I was going to ask you about that. So when you came, when you said you went to the academy in 2000? Yes, sir. Um, when you graduated and you got ready to go out on the road, did you have pepper spray, baton, and taser as available? We option? didn't get the taser until 2005. Okay. Um, and... I didn't start carrying it. We got it right around the time I made sergeant in 2006. And at the time, only sergeants had them in 2006. Okay. And that went on for maybe a couple of years. And then we finally deployed them to all the officers. So, you know, if you're responding to a bar fight at, well, it's New York, so it's going to be later in New York than it is here. <laughs> if you're responding to a bar fight at 2.33 a.m. and, uh, you know, your backup is 25 minutes away, you, you got to have the gift of gab. You got to have a little tact and diplomacy to kind of keep this thing absolutely and you have to act a little crazy you know so that they're they're a little scared of you (laughs) they 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 don't know what what's potent what's possible so did you spend your entire career in patrol operations you never had to spend any time in the facility no never i in fact this is kind of a funny story in 21 years i was inside the jail twice so drop off a prisoner drop well no we're dropping them off all the time in the sally port but i'm saying actually past Passed the inner door inside the facility twice. Conducting an investigation? Uh, actually, once was um, we did a canine detail where we had like six canines do a sweep of the, the jail. And then the other was to take politicians through on a tour. <laughs> so I have, I have a follow-up question, but before that, I'm just going to briefly um, share. I've shared this story on previous episodes. So other than on a tour, I've only been in our House of Correction, our facility, once in my career and the one time i was in there and i'll never go back right the one time i was in there i was assigned an internal affairs investigation and the complainant was incarcerated and so i had to go to the jail to interview this person and the the nature of the complaint was odd and the story wasn't quite stacking up and we had some evidence that um, didn't corroborate everything so i get there i gotta strip all of my gear and equipment off to go through and be passed in to go to the day room They go, they put me in the day room, they go and they get the inmate, I introduce myself, I ask him one question, he tells me to F off, he gets up, he calls for the guard, they take him back to the cell, they leave me locked in the day room with no (laughs) method of communication, I don't have a cell phone, right, I'm waving at the camera, they don't care, I'm not even going to say how long I was in there, and I will never cross that door again. Because being locked in there with no way to get out and no way to communicate was the most uncomfortable thing that's happened. It is very unsettling. And I've had to interview numerous inmates in my career, but I always had them bring them to me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so uh, you, you described 
I just want for our viewers and listeners to kind of clarify this. So the the road patrol division and the corrections division, separate entities? Yep. Separate chains of command? Yes. So you got the sheriff. We have the sheriff, the undersheriff, and then then it branches off in in those separate divisions. And everybody who gets promoted within those separate divisions comes up within those divisions? Correct. Is there ever any transfer between the divisions? Uh, Yeah, we would poach corrections officers a lot because there's less of a standard for like their academy six weeks okay you know um only the transport officers carry firearms so not all the officers are certified to carry firearms um so like i said there's there was just there was more they had more corrections officers we had 40 officers when i left um as far as on the patrol side and they had about 55 corrections officers so they were a little bit larger but they had state minimums too they have minimum staff instead of the state corrections mandates that they have on duty at any time all right so you you kind of briefly quickly outlined your career progression with the sheriff's office um and we've got about a minute left before we have to take a station identification break so just again from deputy to sheriff or to sergeant yep and then from sergeant to lieutenant yes and then your final position with them was as a captain yes in charge of the road patrol yeah so so i made uh ironically when i first made sergeant in 2006 i actually did welfare fraud for about three months i was in the the detective division just doing welfare fraud it was a a a grant that the department of social services was paying at the time so i did that for a few months and then uh i was fortunate where a patrol position opened back up so i went back over a patrol um that was always been my passion and then I, when I was made lieutenant, I was the patrol lieutenant. So I was the only lieutenant overseeing the uniform patrol division. And then um, the current sheriff of Cortland County, it was funny because he, he's one of my closest friends and we, he's been my supervisor for the majority of my career. Okay. When, when I was a sergeant, he was my lieutenant. When I made lieutenant, he was my captain, you know, and then he was elected in 2016 while I was captain. Um, as sheriff so all right so we're going to pause for station identification and a couple PSAs we're going to come back I've got one final question for the chief about his time in Cortland County and then we're going to transition to his transition across the border from New York to Massachusetts you've been listening to a pre-recorded episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM Pittsfield Community Radio simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television and available on all of your popular podcast platforms Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. Missed an episode of your favorite show? Have no fear because we have podcasts. Type in WTBRFM.com forward slash podcast on your favorite browser and search for your favorite show. It's that simple. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC provides access to higher education to everyone in Berkshire County and beyond, offering more than 50 high-quality programs, small class sizes, and an affordable education to help their students of all ages achieve their dreams. At BCC, their middle name is Community. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. 
It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Is your little one safe inside your vehicle? Is the child seat installed properly? Is it the correct seat for your child? Hi, this is Sergeant Mark Madeline with the Pittsfield Police Department, reminding you to please keep your children safe. Follow the safety seat manufacturer's recommendations for height and weight, and check NHTSA's website or our Facebook page for recommendations. If you have a question or would like your seat installation checked, please contact our department at 413-448-9700, extension 575. Our officers are certified safety seat installers. Thank you. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Pittsville residents, have you heard about Code Red? It's the city's emergency alert program, and it keeps you informed on the latest updates and notifications, including but not limited to weather-related emergencies, road closures, and water main breaks. So stay connected and be informed. Text Pittsfield to 99411 to enroll or visit cityofpittsfield.org to sign up. Welcome back to a pre-recorded episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. If you're just joining us, uh, this is a formatting change for this weekly radio program, allegedly weekly radio program. We have been doing live-only broadcasts for the life of this program for the last couple of years, but we've also missed several live broadcasts over the last months because of some staffing challenges and some changes in collateral duties. And so after talking to the staff here at PCTV and WTBR, we decided that rather than play replay replays, we will um, find the opportunity during midweek to try to pre-record some episodes to bring you new content. You're listening to the first of those pre-recorded, those regularly pre-recorded episodes. This one will air on Friday, November 18th. And uh, we have been speaking with our guest in studio today, Chief Dirksen of the Lanesboro Police Department. Chief has been explaining to us or describing to us his career with the sheriff's office in um, Cortland County, New York, where he, he had a 21, 21-year 21 yeah, career? 21 uh, 21-year career before he decided to migrate across the border. So um, during your tenure with the sheriff's office where you held every rank and position except under sheriff and sheriff, um, do you have any, other than the welfare fraud, do you have any special assignments, special duties? Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually, I am an accident reconstructionist, so I was the head of the accident reconstruction team. So good team. at math. Yeah. Uh, since 2006, I headed that team. I, I think at the time, the retiring captain was like, yeah, why don't you go to this school? In fact, I, I took my my accident recon school um, in Massachusetts at, at the New Braintree Police Academy there with the state police. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was it was something. Um, but like I said, uh, that that really, you know, um, we we would average probably four to six um, fatalities a year in the county, um, and that's was a big responsibility. So just to again follow up on a couple of things the chief said, and, and just maybe pull a couple threads. We we joke good naturedly and with love about our brothers and sisters in French blue about the Massachusetts State Police. And don't get me wrong, I love the Massachusetts State Police. I've got great friends on the Massachusetts State Police. But their academy is not a welcoming place. <laughs> there is no good way to get there. 
It takes a long time from anywhere. It is in the middle of nowhere. I've been billeted there to do some training for some other state departments. Uh, it's like a 45-minute drive to just get something to eat. There's no hotels in close proximity. And once you like round that corner and head up to the top of that imposing mountain, the place looks like a prison. And if you have to stay there, you should be sainted. Yeah, so so funny story is, you know, I, we were supposed to go um, to the New York State Police Academy in Albany, but it filled up. And so me and another officer from the sheriff's office were going through the school. New York State Police Academy in Albany is a beautiful place. Yeah. So so the, the it was when they uh, told me about the school in Mass, they're like, oh, and it's it's free housing. You can stay there. So I'm like, all right, that's great. You know, the sheriff will love it. So the first day they showed us what our rooms would be. I called the sheriff up. I'm like, no, nope. I'm getting a hotel room in Sturbridge. <laughs> yeah. When um, when were you at New Braintree? Uh, 2006. So that yeah, that was probably right around the same time. They don't do this anymore. Uh, I've been there. I've been billed there a couple times over the last several years. I try not to, but if you know, if the state agency that I'm working with is is training there and they don't have the budget, I'll agree to do it just to keep the cost down. But prior to a change, they didn't care if you were new, a Mass State Police personnel or not. If you were a guest in their facility, you were subject to the rules and regulations, and they would inspect your rooms. And so we sent guys out there for the DEA basic school. These are experienced police officers who have been on the job for a long time, and they're going through the DEA basic drug investigator school to get qualified as a task force officer. And young trooper supervisors were like coming up and harassing them and going through their stuff. There was fist fights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was. <laughs> it's just not okay. Um, but yeah, they, they don't do that anymore. Or at least they don't inspect my room. They probably know I'm a chief. Um, so the other thing, I, the other thread I want to pull is accident reconstruction. I mean, this is a specialization that we we talk about briefly when Sergeant Madalena comes in. We don't really get into the details. That's hard math. Oh, like, it was extremely you know, hard. You guys use a lot of technology to help you with that stuff now. But if you have to hand crunch those numbers or go out and get those drag coefficients and stuff, that's hard math. It's so, engineering level math. So it, it was funny because when I first started, we had a stretch tape and, and, and the sheriff's office was like, oh, we have a workstation. It's just still in the closet. We've never taken it out. It. And I'm like, yeah, we're taking it yeah. out. You know, we're going to learn how to use it. So, so we obviously learned how to use it. We became good at it. And then same, we bought software that does all the math for you. And the crash math is like this amazing thing that you just plug some numbers in and gives you these awesome reports. So, Matt, so when the when the chief says stretch tape, if you've never if you've never taken a class in this or you've never had to watch these guys work, um, if you're trying to reconstruct a crash scene, collision scene, and it happens for other crime scenes too, but these are the the more dramatic ones. You really only have two alternatives, right? You can you can lay a straight tape. To be your baseline and then measure distance off of that tape to a piece of evidence that's you know that is perpendicular to it or you can measure from a single point as a point of reference to each piece of evidence and then you've got to have an angle and a distance mm -hmm. and to build these maps and you just got a picture crashes don't happen in ideal weather right so you get a day like today crash happens at dusk or dark and they're literally stretching out 100 yard fiberglass tape and taking measurements to try to be able to go back and reconstruct this thing is one of special assignment I never wanted to do for that reason. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for us to be at a scene for six or seven hours yeah. measuring it, yeah. you know, that way. 
Um, and the the worst accident I had is I had a fatality in 2015 where seven people were killed, four under the age of six. It's horrifying. Yeah, Sorry. A, a trailer came unhooked from the, the tractor and struck a minivan um, and killed seven out of the, uh, like I said, passengers. It was the first time in my career I was on CNN and hopefully the last time I'm in my career I'm ever on CNN. You better knock on wood, Chief. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, and it was, um, it was funny because I remember I was actually sitting down at my kid's spring concert and I get the phone call and, you know, they're like, we need you up here. Um, I was lieutenant then, or no, I was captain then. They were like, you know, Cap, we need you up there. So ironically enough, another member of my team was in the audience because his daughter went to school with mine. So I had to find him in the audience and apologize to his wife that I had to take We got to go. Yep, we got to go. So yeah, it was, it was an absolutely brutal scene, um, and the trailer was was hauling crushed cars. So we literally at one point had to have a heavy duty wrecker suspend this trailer about three feet off the ground so we could crawl underneath, underneath it. it to recover the victims. Wow. Um, and then, as I'm doing this, you know, the sheriff at the time. It, wasn't the sheriff that I'm good friends with. <laughs> Enough <laughs> he, said. Yeah, he says, uh, I need you to go to the other side of the scene and meet with the press. And I'm like, uh, I'm a little busy right yeah. now. He goes, yeah, I don't want to do it. There's a lot of them down there. You have to go do it. So you'll, you'll see a very annoyed interview on CNN. Good looking out, boss. <laughs> um, so I don't want to pry, Chief, but it, you're describing a, a horrific scene. That would be horrifying for an officer of any background or experience. Um, but we've spoken a, a little bit about our philosophies. Did you, did you have to ask for or get some help to kind of work through that? We, we did a debriefing. We actually, uh, we invited the New York State Police had a team that does full-time debriefing. So we had them come in um, because obviously I had a lot of officers on that scene. Um, I had, a, you know, I had six or seven just accident recon team members, you know, um, that were there that whole time. And then you have fire and EMS, um, the county coroner, you know, everyone. Uh, I think the debriefing really helped people a lot. Yeah. Um, you, you have to have a way to deal with that because those, those recollections and those memories don't leave you. Um, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the price of law enforcement that they don't put in the recruitment brochures. And when I came on, it wasn't something we talked about in the academy. We talk about it in the academy now. Um, but that's just because many of us have learned some hard lessons <coughs> along the way. Uh, we're we're not built or programmed to see that and crawl through that and not be infected by it. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry you went through that. I appreciate you I, sharing that. I, I appreciate that. But like I said, I, I hate to say it, it became routine, but it became routine, you know. And And you're right, every time... I couldn't drive around the county today without going, yeah, I remember when that person was killed there and, yeah. and, and, and seeing that victim because, again, it, it just was, you know, almost an everyday occurrence. So, All right, so that was depressing. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. It's okay. No, we, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about the impacts of trauma on law enforcement. Uh, it's, it's one of my – it's one of the drums I pound. So let's shift gears. You do 21 years with the sheriff's office. You mm -hmm. retire. Yes. So it's 20, 20 plus full retirement? <coughs> yeah. So in New York, um, it's, 
It's a New York State retirement program, but the county itself, in, in my case, as the employer, has to buy like a, a plan. Okay. And we had a 20-year plan, so there was no incentive past 20 right. um, other than, you know, your cost of living increases there or whatever. So when I hit my 20, my wife told me I was retiring, and we had twins that were going to be freshmen in college. Okay. So in order to pay for college, it was kind of always the plan that I would use my pension from New York to pay for college, and I would leave the state and find a, a job because like I said, New York just like Mass has that limit that you can't you can't double dip, so right. to speak. You can't stay in law enforcement, make the same amount of money and collect your pension, even with a different agency. So if you're collecting in the New York State pension system, you can't be employed by another agency in the pension system. No. It's similar no. to Mass. And that and that could be as a school teacher, as a highway right. superintendent. <laughs> Anywhere in the pension any, system. Yep. Yeah. So basically any municipal job. So it was always, all right, um, my wife works for MBT Bank, and, okay. and she works for home, from home. She has for six or seven years now. So as long as we stayed in the footprint of the bank, which is most of New England, um, we could go anywhere. So uh, the, the opportunity, you know, came up for a couple departments. Actually, I was a finalist for Dalton before Deanna got it. Okay. Um, it was down to her and me, um, and, and, and she deserves it. Um, but the... Uh, the consultant that worked with Dalton, you know, called me up and told me about Lanesboro and they like, I think you'd be a perfect fit. So this, this job is exactly what I was looking for. It's a small agency. I still get to do what I love. Um, you know, I still get to be very hands-on in that small environment. It's a lot slower pace, you know, because like I said, as captain in a larger agency, like, you know, as chief in a larger agency, that phone never stops ringing. You know, it's every single night is I'm up. <laughs> well, I, and it's it's interesting. So I walked in. You were already here, and our listeners can't see this, but it's be obvious for our viewers. So the chief is here. He's obviously on duty. I walked past his cruiser when he came in here. It's a semi-marked Ghost Graphics mm -hmm. cruiser, but it's obviously a police car. And you're wearing full du full duty gear. You're a working police chief, right? If something yep. happened in yep. Lansborough today, absolutely, you, you would go respond to it. You fill shifts. Yep. Right? I am not a working police chief. I haven't filled a shift since 2007. I rarely have an opportunity to wear my full duty gear. And if I get out five or six times a year to answer some calls on the radio, I consider myself lucky. You know, when I, when I took command, I aimed for once a week. That lasted about three weeks before something from the management team became more important to the management team than operations became to me. Mm -hmm. And so while I love getting out and doing police work, I, you know, city policing, city police command and small town police command are completely different job descriptions. They, they absolutely uh, are. And while I do not envy you the small town politics and dealing with the select board, I do envy you your opportunity to get out there and do police work and work alongside your troops. Yeah, that that is definitely a benefit. And like I said, those are the things that I've always loved. I I loved my job at the sheriff's office and it broke my heart to leave it. But like I said, I have kids yeah. and they're they're my priority, you know, and, and they've put up with enough of my my stuff over the years, you know, me working weekends and, and missing sporting events and, and holidays and stuff, so so this this was my opportunity to to give them something back to make sure that they get a college education and they start off right, you know. So you're a finalist for Dalton. You were kind of recruited by the uh, 
consultant. chief search consultant for Lanesboro. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you look anywhere else, anywhere outside of Massachusetts? Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Uh, I I actually w had been offered a job. I won't mention where in in Vermont. Um, <laughs> right right after I hit my twenty, it was like the first job I applied for. I was offered the police chief job, and um, they had an incident involving one of their officers on duty where. Uh, the officer actually shot and killed his girlfriend while on duty and then committed suicide while on duty. That's horrifying. Um, yeah, so I, I declined that position um, because it was happening literally while they were offering me the job. Sure. So um, I was, you know, again, being that small agency, I just didn't know the future of that agency, where, where that would end up. So Did the former chief leave as a result of that incident? No, the former chief had retired right. and left prior okay. So Vermont agency, a couple Massachusetts agencies. Lane, so Lanesboro comes up, you go through the process, mm -hmm. and you decide it's a good fit. You wanted a small town, chance where you could do some yep. small town policing. Um, so my mother and my sister actually lived in the Albany area. My mother's since passed since I've moved here, but but she was she was that was one of the deciding factors. You know, she's was in her eighties, living at home, and and still in the Albany area in the colony area. So. Was like this is great i'll be an hour away from mom you know my sister's an hour away this this makes sense yep. you know just a few miles over the border um and you know almost almost in between where my my two went to college okay. you know so i've got my son's up in uh champlain college up in burlington vermont and my uh daughter is actually at suny alfred okay which is out in the finger lakes beautiful area both beautiful areas um so how long have you been with lanesborough uh, since July of last year, so about a year and a half now already. And how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so, so as you would know, being a representative of Post, the biggest the biggest change is I'm coming in while all the police reform is happening, and there's so many you know subtle nuances. Basically, the laws for the most part are the same. You know what's illegal in New York is pretty much illegal in Mass. It's the procedures which you execute an arrest or you know. All those things are different, and those those are the things. And in, in a lot of ways, I'm still the rookie. You know, I I've got books that you know if something comes up, I'm whipping the book out, sure. reading case law and things like that to to try and you know. So I have to ask. This is not related to the the topics about what's going on in Lanesboro, but the difference between state laws and we get this all the time, right? We'll deal with somebody who was arrested in Albany, and they're like, "Well, when I was in Albany, this happened." I'm like different constitution. They don't mm -hmm. they don't understand that, right? Um, but I've never had the opportunity to interview somebody who worked in New York. So are telephonic warrants a real thing in New York? Because when you watch all the New York crime dramas, they're just like, I'm going to call the judge and get a warrant. So <laughs> they can be, actually, because judges now can sign orders of protection warrants electronically. So they can log in a system. And basically, the most often where we use, would use a telephonic warrant was for blood draws. Okay. If you had a fatal, you know, you would call it an OUI in Mass. We call it DWI yep. in New York. If you had a fatal accident involved in one of those and, and they're refusing to, to give blood, we would, we would get, you know, an order to, to draw the blood. We're typing paper for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so we, we had the, the, the fortunate, you know, and the funny part is we didn't have district court. So, so I had those 15 towns, three villages, and one city, and almost every one of them had their own court. Wow. Um, and judges are elected, elected in those towns. So they're farmers, they're school teachers, 
they're retired, you know, sometimes retired law enforcement. And, you know, sometimes you're explaining to them, you know, judge, I, I need you to fill out that securing order, you know, with some bail. That's but so different. <laughs> wow. All right. So look back to Lansboro. So you've been there yep. about a year and a half. Uh, you came over during the implementation of police reform. What were you thinking? Yeah. Uh, like I said, um, I've always said that, you know, just the fact that I've been in law enforcement and I, I've enjoyed it for so long, I, I think I have some sort of genetic mental defect or something, but, you know, I, I truly do. Um, and I don't, you know what? It is the most impossible job there is, but at the same token, the heart is what makes it great, you know? It's so rewarding. Yes. <laughs> the fact that I have, I take great pride in the fact that me and my officers can do it and they do it well. So you've come over to Lanesboro in police reform, and you also came over in the midst of a municipal effort or attempt to relocate your PD. Mm -hmm. There's been some progress on that since you got here. Yeah, so so we are actually, uh, we moved to a temporary location. Um, our, our station, as, as it's well documented, was just in horrific condition. It was a 192-year-old building that for all intents and purposes, should have been condemned years ago. I don't like to say this out loud, but it's the only PD in the county that may actually have been in worse shape than ours. Yeah, it it was terrible. Um, and so we're we're in a, it was an old uh, doctor's office in, in a plaza that's next to the post office there or whatever. Um, still too small, but it is dramatically better than what we had you got some parking we have parking we have separate rooms you know we actually have an interrogation room now um you know like i said we have a lobby that just you know people can just come in and now wait for the officer they're not waiting out in the rain or the cold or, or in their cars um we have privacy now and stuff like that so so that's been a dramatic improvement um we're hoping we're still Striving, the, the hope is to build a, a new facility, and if everything goes well, we'll have something to present to the residents maybe in January of this year for approval. And the amended plan now is new construction on the parcel where the current station? No. No, no that, that has since. So um, in researching that, apparently there was a deed restriction on okay. it, so we, we couldn't build on it. So now... We, we, the town of Lanesboro formed a, a police building committee and it's made up, you know, of residents and, and they've done a tremendous job of, of kind of working together and, and researching it. And it looks like we, we were tasked with finding a parcel. We have a parcel that I'm not at liberty to say, but in my opinion, it's an ideal parcel. Um, in fact, we also have um, the Baker Hill Road District, which is you know the the mall road yeah the mall road um quasi government yep. organization they they've offered to donate the money that the town would need to purchase the lot that we're looking at um so if if that all goes through um we'll have we'll have a nice lot to build on and now we like i said we're in the design phase we have an architect doing a schematic and um uh you know a diagram of what the facility would potentially be, and now we bring it to the taxpayers when we're ready, and fingers crossed that we get it approved. I am so jealous. We were making such good progress, and then we just got blocked, and it's time we have to restart the process again. So it, it's funny because, you know, in, in my career and, and your career as well, 
I've never worked on a nice building. <laughs> <laughs> Me you know, either. Well, that's not know. true. I spent 11 and a half months in Quantico at the DEA Academy. That was a great building. Yeah, well, yeah. I actually, I'm a FBI National yeah, Academy yeah. graduate, so I did 10 weeks at the FBI yeah. Academy. Yeah. Um, in fact, though, at the time I was there, that was not a great building because they were remodeling the dorms, and, and there was a time where we actually didn't have water. And when it, we did have water, you were dyed yeah. orange from the <laughs> rust because when it kicked the, back on. The FBI is, it, this is just a... <laughs> The FBI Academy. I spent when I was in Quantico living. I lived and worked in the DEA Academy, which was down the road and around the corner from yep. the FBI Academy. But we spent a lot of time at the FBI Academy, either in training or in the boardroom, um, just you know, kind of spending some time over there. And you hear about the FBI Academy if you watch television shows, and they all talk about going to the Quantico. But what you know, you hear about two things, right? You hear about the ranges. And you hear about the behavioral sciences unit in the basement, uh -huh. but you don't ever hear anybody talk about the hamster trails. Like the, the FBI Academy goes back to J. Edgar Hoover, and it, some of the buildings are newer and they're beautiful, but they're all built around the, the nexus of the original building. And they're all interconnected by these like glassed-in walkways that literally look like hamster trails. Uh -huh. it, it's the most ridiculous design. It's insane. You, it's nice you can stay inside. You don't have to go out in the weather. But So the funny part is while we were there, um, like I said, they were doing a major dorm remodel. Which it, it was funny because my, my friend who was the sheriff, he had gone a couple of years prior to me and he got a hotel room while he, <laughs> while he was at the FBI Academy. They couldn't get in there. Yeah. But, but we, they, they were having, they switched the recruits to the hotel rooms and they were having the, the seasoned of, cops. Of course you they know, did. Yeah. Share, you know, for the first time in my life, I had a roommate yeah. and I had two suite mates, you know, and all four guys sharing a bathroom, you know, and things like that. But um, while we were there, as you know, like, the FBI Academy, um, they have the yellow brick road yep. that was open, but they have a lot of trails. So, so the whole progression is Wednesdays you did, um, you know, PT challenges where you progress to the yellow brick road is the final challenge. Well, they had these different trails, like week number one, you would run this trail yep. and they all had their own names while we were there. All those trails were closed because in California, one of the, I think it was California, one of the military bases had drained one of their lakes and they found all these bombs that... Unexploded ordnance. Yeah, <laughs> yes, which were, you know, from World War II. And so there was an executive order from the president at the time that all former military bases had to be searched. Well, they searched Quantico and they found several hundred pound unexploded oh. bombs because it used to be a, 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 a bomber range yeah. so so we trained out uh when i lived in quantico we trained out at camp upshire and when the chief talks about the trails these are running trails right the running trails at quantico are literally tank trails there you, you could go out for pt and you could be turning a corner and there's a tank come well not anymore because the marine corps got rid of all their tanks but at the time all the armor was out there it's it's just a unique location we're almost out of time um what's next for lanesboro pd what's what's your big strategic agenda item um, filling my vacancy, <laughs> and just like you, it's it's getting harder and harder to find the officers to fill the slots that you need the officers for. So, you know, staffing is is the biggest challenge, and then obviously the station is important. Um, we have a two year lease at the location we're at now with an option of four, um, but I'm hoping that we we can resolve that issue and 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 build a proper facility that the taxpayers will be. Well, Chief, I want to thank you for coming in. We'll have to have you back so we can get into some more details about Lanesboro, Lanesboro PD and your officers and their work and, you know, maybe talk about some of the hard work you do. 
Final thoughts, we tried to finish up with this. Plans for the weekend? Uh, no, the wife's actually coming back from Vegas tonight, so... <laughs> well, She'll tell you what your plans for the weekend yeah, are? Yeah, she always L does. So. Lieutenant, plans for the weekend? Well, right now it's a Wednesday. I don't live so far ahead. <laughs> you got to start planning, Matt. All right, thank you for tuning in to this pre-recorded episode of On Patrol the PPD. Until next time, be safe, be healthy, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.